Mini episode 1251 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello and welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1251. I'm FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris, and it's a tradition in the FDH Lounge to review some of our finest guest appearances from the last 100 mini episodes. These are some of the best moments that we had for mini episodes 1151 to 1250, ones that reinforce the reality that we really are the show where nothing is off topic. You know, in a way, it could almost make him kind of the uh, the Rudy Gobert of government circles here, because I've come around to the point of view that as mad as I was last week, Rudy Gobert saved a lot more lives than he threatened, because, boom, the sports leagues were shutting down right away after that, and that was when we really started to get serious about this whole thing here, too. Maybe Jay Powell... His move didn't work the way he wanted it to, but much like Rudy Gobert, maybe and hopefully there's some good that comes out of it in the ways you're talking about. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. I mean, the market just, you know, went into a free fall after that, and it continued. I mean, I personally suspect it'll get to 17.5 on the down, probably lower, but I mean, at least 17.5, that, that's what it was uh, right before Trump. It's about moving hearts and minds. That's, to me, counterproductive. You have a point where most people looked at this, as you said, with outrage, and it didn't cut across racial lines, and it's an opportunity to build on it as opposed to what I would call being divisive, and you're not woke enough, you're not sensitive enough on stuff. You know, if people are increasingly... People, just, people want easy answers. Like, they want to take a statue down and say, there, that takes care of it. Yeah. It doesn't take care of it. Too. You know, it, 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 people talk about reparations. That would not take care of it. It's much deeper than that. Yeah. And, you know, I, even... It, 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 I, I can talk about, you know, like history, for example. Sure. When I grew up through school, my history of African Americans in this country, and I started school in Taiwan. My dad was in the Air Force. My history was, I was a slave and then I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I remember in kindergarten, my friend looked at me because our teacher said that we were all slaves. And she looked at me, I was the only black girl in class, she goes, are you a slave? And I said, I don't know, I had to ask my mom. Um, but that kind of sat in me. So it's like, you know, open up that, and we got to know our own history. We all got to know our own history. And I'll tell you, for me, to know that my dad's grandparents, a family of eight, they were sold into slavery in 1863, a family of eight for $800. Because I know that, I have a certain responsibility to my family lineage. I I cannot mess up sure. in my head. But then by the same token, I also remember in 1985 when I was covering this new drug that hit the country called crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. That stuff was dumped in, 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 
impoverished neighborhoods, gangs were set up to protect territory and make money for somebody, and people just didn't realize, your 14-year-old little black boys in the neighborhood were not negotiating cocaine deals and getting coke in and getting arms in, and so we have to, as part of the answer, you have to get that stuff out of those neighborhoods. Yeah. You have to. And, and so it's a much more comprehensive plan than people want to do that. Get rid of the statues, get rid of the who's in the White House right now. And, you know, I had a, was one of the politicians who's in Congress said to me, this is what our problem is. And I said, you know, no offense. I don't get political on you, but it, it didn't start four years ago. Sure. So if we want to point to one person in office, that's not going to fix it either. So, and instead of doing it from the top down, legislators top down, you better start at the bottom floor where those people live that life every day. Ask them what would fix the problem. As far as the things that we're not talking about as much right now that we should be paying a little bit more attention to out of this, Seth, what are the first couple things that come to mind? Yes. I mean, the, the biggest thing, you know, and I, I've been very critical of, of Rob Manfred. Uh, I have done podcasts on the subject. I have evidence to back it up. I mean, he's been involved in uh, a lot of impropriety. And the bigger thing that I found, and this is from somebody who's covered the sport for 26 years, is Manfred knew the whole thing back in 2017. So did Astros owner Jim Crane. And they did not want to make a big deal about it then because why did Joe Paterno not want to turn in Jerry Sandusky? Hmm. The same reason. And it's not the same crime, so let's not, you know, it's not exactly apples to apples. Sure. But the argument here is when, when the article came out that broke the story, and that's a fine reporter for The Athletic, a guy by the name of Evan Drylich, who I'm a big fan of, and he wrote this article because Mike Fires, a relief pitcher, he agreed to talk to him on the record. Mm -hmm. And so that article comes out, and that day I called friends of mine at both the league office and the union, and I'll paraphrase the conversations. I said something to the effect of, so what do you think of that article? And both the responses were, what, you didn't know? <laughs> and so, you know, when I saw all this, this fervor, from the league office and all the investigations and all these things, there's not a person who covered the Astros that didn't know that they were cheating. And the reality of it is, is no one wanted to be a whistleblower. And the people of authority, because that was the thing that I, I had the biggest takeaway, you know, Jeff Lunau and, and Agent Hinch, Jim Crane knew. And for Jim Crane to say, well, the buck stops with Lunau, no, the buck stops with him. If anybody should have been suspended, it was him. It strikes me, when I go back to like my childhood, I, I mostly remember hearing about the offense and the defense, and oh yeah, special teams as well, but his emphasis to me always seemed to be a little bit more than what other people were making it, at least uh, in the 70s. Well, I, you know, I think that a lot of coaches try to, um, and I don't think he's his own side, but mm -hmm. he's the one that put the emphasis on it. Uh, he had solid special teams, kickers, hunters, return guys, that, he put an emphasis on that, and he like I said, I don't think he's the only guy, but he had, you know, a thick back then. That's what, you know, I think of Don Shula as a, as a, he was a coach. Yes. And he was a put guys and he coached guys. He says, I did and he, he coached games. There's a real talent to coaching a game. Uh, people think it's easy and people, you know, they look at a coach on the sideline, and, you know, but, but he understood it and he got the sense of it and he knew when there was, he just had this sense because in every football game, there's anywhere from five to ten plays.
and where play could go one way. And, and the, the quality coaches are the ones that were able to teach their players to recognize those situations. This is an outcome-determinative play. And if you make it happen, and, and the more times you can turn your way, you're going to win the football game. And and you may not win by much. It's not like, you know, Don Shula wasn't blowing people out. Right. All their games, they were close games. Because he just understood how to coach. He, had, he didn't have to win by three touchdowns, four touchdowns. He just said, I just have a four touchdown win is the same as a one point win. And that, that to me sounds a comfort. And, and he understood and he felt more comfortable. I actually subjected myself a little bit earlier today to rewatching the drive. I didn't remember if you had any catches on the drive or not. And what's amazing to me in rewatching it is uh, I saw Mark Jackson had two catches, but other than that, not really amigo driven. It was mostly end of the bench guys. I think there was a big pass to a fullback. I mean, uh, it, it's remarkable. Because uh, I'm thinking back, you know, you, Jackson, Nateel. No, two catches for Mark Jackson, but uh, Elway was basically killing us with everybody else, it seemed like. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to give you some insight to that, that huddle conversation that we had on this drive. You ready for this? Sure. All right. So, when we were inside the huddle, I knew that I was going to be the go to guy because I'm always the go-to guy in the game with John Elway. We saw John coming off the sidelines after talking to Dan Reed. When we looked at his eyes and we knew he wanted to win. And we thought the game was over with, but we saw in John's eyes he wanted to win. That's when I knew it was Vance Johnson's time. We get to the huddle, I'm looking at John's face, and John starts calling plays unlike he called plays throughout the whole game. He looked at me and said, Vance, you're not getting one pass because everyone's going to expect you to get a pass. I want you to run down the middle of the field and clear it out for everybody. Clarence Kate, Mark Jackson, Tammy Winder. He was telling me exactly who he was going to be going to see the ball with. If they weren't open, he was going to run it. Ready? Break. <laughs> wow. That, yes. And if you go back and look at it, you'll see that I was just the person that was clearing out openings for guys to come underneath the catch pass. Clearly, the Ferguson effect, uh, as far as uh, having the, the potential to light the fuse on these matters, was not behind us, as I thought, a year ago. It continues to be with us, and it continues to be an ongoing challenge for law enforcement. Well, it, it does, and uh, law enforcement is not without its challenges. But, uh, you know, let me say right, you know, right from the beginning here that uh, what we saw, what everybody saw in uh, Minneapolis um, was, uh, was a murder. Totally, totally uh, a criminal act. Um, there's not one law enforcement officer that would try to agree or explain that away. Uh, what took place was uh, reprehensible, and um, one person changed the course of uh, the way our country's going right now. And um, it's just, uh, it, uh, it hurts me that it was uh, uh, someone with a badge and a uniform because uh, so many of us are very proud and we take our oath very seriously. But just from the onset, um, there's no, uh, you know, there's no other way to describe it than a, uh, you know, an outright murder that was uh, caught on uh, video and the whole world saw that. San Francisco, they are dominant in terms of time of possession. It's their style of play. It's the way that they do it. We saw what they did to Green Bay, chewing them up with the run. But that's how they're comfortable playing. Kansas City, boom, 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 up and down the field. They don't really worry about time of possession. San Francisco had about a two-minute edge when you compare the regular season numbers. And I'm sitting here looking at it like, 
Kansas City cannot afford to just say, okay, you guys go ahead and beat us in time of possession. They go out and they execute a game plan where they outrush, they outran them. I think it was 29 carries to 22 or something like that. Kansas City had 33-13 in terms of time of possession. That first half, when the rest of the world, I think, was probably sitting there going, hey, this doesn't look like Kansas City. What are they doing running the ball as much as they did? I draw a straight line between that and the fourth quarter when the San Francisco defense looked gassed. I thought Andy Reid called a perfect game as far as how that went. And I didn't think he was going to deviate from the usual game plan. I was wrong, but he followed the game plan I thought he should have followed, and he won. What What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> well, uh, prior to the game, uh, my my again my prediction was that Kansas City had a slight edge, mm-hmm. but um, I didn't think that San Francisco defense would would match up well with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs offense. I just thought that they had too much. And I knew they were going to play zone. I mm-hmm. they, 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 they can't. They, it's difficult. The only position that they can man up would be the tight end. Yeah. Uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. That's the only position that they can go man. Everything else has to go cover three, uh, cover one, and or if they go into the goal man, they have it disguised as like like zone. So I knew that they would most of the time they're going to stay in zone, and in, in zone, all they got to do is just push those defenders a little bit and then stop. And they have their room, their cushions are just dink and dump, dink and dump. So, but at the beginning of the first half, San Francisco came out swinging. Like, yeah. they, you know, the, the up front, which I thought that they had to play out of their mind, mm-hmm. the down line, the defensive line, I thought they would have to play out of their mind to get Mahomes off his game. And that's what they did the first half. They had a perfect game plan. They did. But I tell you what, like I said, uh, you know, Andy went in the snap time, he had plenty of time with the halftime show. He had plenty of That's time right. <laughs> to, to, to sink and, and, and counter everything that these guys were doing. And then the next thing you know, they started Yeah. <laughs> 